Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Please note this podcast is not suitable for children. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. The work with men in trauma has just been really rewarding because of how they respond to it. Most of them have never talked about it. No one's ever asked them. Hi, my name is Stephanie Covington. I'm the co-director of the Center for Gender and Justice. It's located in La Jolla, California. I've been working in the criminal justice field for a lot of years, both helping people put programs into place for both men and women, but also to make environmental changes, culture change. And it's good to have you back on the pod because you are <laughs> the first guest of the Justice Pod to appear twice. Oh my. <laughs> I know. That means you're really special. Yeah. Um, so for our back. listeners who are interested in this particular subject about trauma and why it matters and why the gender piece matters so much in understanding trauma, you can refer back to one of our earlier podcasts where Stephanie was predominantly talking about the women. So today we are predominantly talking about the men. So I'd just like to explore with you a little bit about your work, what you've been doing in America and where sort of the state stands currently on working in the men's prisons and with men in trauma. Well, you know, the whole issue of trauma originally did focus on women. We we were much more aware of what was happening to children and to women and providing programs uh, tailored for them. And people weren't talking much at all about men in trauma. Why Even- not? Well, I think it really goes back to think about how men are socialized and the messages that men get that we all hear in society. Men are supposed to be tough. Um, Men can only show certain feelings. Uh, You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Not okay to be vulnerable. So there are all these kind of social messages about men. And I think because of that, um, men have been quiet often about the kind of wounding experiences they've had, particularly as young people or as young men. And um, and I think in society we've just thought, well, you know, we think much more of, of men as perpetrators of violence than we do as victims of violence, um, certainly interpersonal violence. And so I just think there have been a lot of ways we've been in denial about it. And I think men probably have helped facilitate it too because I don't think they want to talk about it. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's probably reflective of society as a whole and women tend to reach out and talk. 
Right. So therefore, the services maybe have come in because of that, whereas right. men don't tend to reach out and talk. So therefore, no. the sort of suffering in silence. Really. Well, yeah, women use services much more than men, whether it's mental health services, physical health services, any any kind of care, you're right, women will reach out to. And men just sort of are more stoic about it. And um, or just don't want really suffering on the inside. So quietly. Much. Yeah. Yes. So A stoic facade. Yes. Uh, so yes, I'm fine. I'm always fine. Um, so to start to do this work around trauma with men, particularly men in prison, which is a very hypermasculine kind of culture, there's a real sense about being tough, and there are reasons for that, obviously, in that particular setting. Um, it's relatively new. Uh, people haven't done a lot of it. Um, when you say relatively new, are you talking in the last year or two years or five years? I would say maybe three to four years. Okay. I'm talking about the states in particular. Mm. Um, uh, certainly we've started here maybe, what, a year, 18 months ago? With a men? year in May. A I year think. in May. Okay. So so particularly in California, we're a few years ahead of that. Um, and how it came to be was really not because people said, oh, we've got to deal with men in trauma. Actually, I was putting a program into women's prisons for women who committed violent, aggressive crimes. And the person in charge of programming said to me, oh, what do you have for men? And I didn't have a program that was exactly the same for violent, aggressive men. So I said to him, no, I don't really have that program for men, but I do have this brief intervention for men in trauma. And he said, well, really? Do you think we should even try that? I said, yes, because... You have to realize that a lot of perpetrators of violence have been wounded. You know, people who've been hurt hurt other people. So I said, yeah, I think we should try this and attach research to it. But he did not want it called a trauma program for men. So we had to rename it in California. Because? Because he said men won't show up for a group if it says trauma. So we'll call it moving beyond violence. Okay. So we, we just renamed something. That well, language matters, right? Yes. And we've done a podcast on yes. why language matters, right. and it really does. <laughs> but I can tell you, after the men are in group and you go to graduation, they all talk about trauma. Right. That's that They use that word. They, they're totally open about it. Um, and is that the right way around to do it, allow them to sort of come to their own language? Well, I now that we've done this enough years, I'm I think it's perfectly fine if you were in a prison setting and you ask for men if anyone want to volunteer to be in a program called Exploring Trauma, I think the men would sign up because they're curious, you know, initially. And and they're also, it's amazing what they think or know. One man at graduation in one of the prisons said, I thought trauma was a hospital. I had no idea that trauma had to do with the things I experienced as a kid. Right. So, so they some, see it what, as more of a sort of physical... Yeah. problem that happens yeah. well, to you as opposed yeah, to a... Exactly. It's a, you're in a trauma hospital because you have a horrible right. automobile accident. Yeah. So even their understanding and being able to name their own life experiences is one, one piece of the work that they do. But it's relatively new. But the results have been... Well, they've been incredible, really, mm. I, much more than I would have ever expected. Yeah, but the work is twofold in the prisons, isn't it? It's about training the staff to understand trauma and seeing that through the gender lens. So, um, you know, for this podcast, it's masculine trauma mm -hmm. um, and seeing it through the male gender lens. But then also the interventions that run alongside that sort of yes, training I mean, of the, the staff. The, the ideal thing is, is, like you said, is 
kind of multiple levels. Ideally, you'd be training administration and staff about trauma, what it means and what are the risks and what are the responses and how does it relate to some of the behaviors that have gotten people into these places. And then you would do a trauma-specific intervention that would be for the residents in the prison. Now, some of the prisons in California only are doing the intervention. They very reluctant to uh, train staff. The women's facilities are are much more open to training staff about trauma. The men's facilities initially said, oh, we don't need that. That's not important. But now, a few years into this, they're beginning to say, oh, we need, you know, so it's coming backwards in a way. It's, right. It, that's not ideal. But sometimes in a prison setting, my experience is you get an opportunity to do something, and sometimes you do it even if it's not 100% right. It's got to go through right. the door. You d- exactly. You, you know, exactly. If someone, you know, in this case, the man said to me, the, uh, said, well, what do you have for men, and what would you do? And I had to think, hmm, what would I do? Like, I'd do this. Um, it wasn't a perfect rollout, but it's been really effective. Mm. So, And with the women's intervention healing trauma, it's important to say that that is... Um, an intervention that's authored by you, so written by a woman for women. Right. So when it comes to the men's intervention, you're a woman. So I, I so wouldn't, what did I you? Not, I have a male co-author. Right. I would not presume to write a men's intervention. No, it'd be kind of hypocritical. As a, well, it'd be ridiculous. Just <laughs> like I wouldn't. I don't think men should be writing women's curriculum. Yeah. You know, I just don't think so. So. We, we looked at healing trauma. We talked about what we thought should be in the men's intervention, what should be different. Um, Rob took the first pass at it. I, you know, added things, edited things, and we negotiated and, um, um, the flavor of it. So it's not just changing pro- taking the women's intervention and changing the pronouns, not at all. Which is often what happens yes. the other way around, yes. certainly in this country. It's not, that's not okay. Yeah. That, do, that doesn't make it responsive. Can't change the he yeah. for the she and the she no, for the he. No, no. <laughs> well, the other thing about gender is, is what we're learning, obviously, is a lot of prisons have a transgender population. Not a lot, but there's a percentage of people. In and the it's prisons. certainly growing hugely in this country. Yes, and particularly among younger people. Um, so we've been running groups now in the women's prison where we have cisgender women whose gender matches what they were born at birth, and we also have um, actually transgender men who are in the women's prison. Right. Okay. So, so they're women, they're men. They're women who are becoming men. Okay. So if you were, in a, you'd see this group, and if you didn't realize you were in a women's prison, you'd think, why are these men in the women's group? But they were women at some point in life, but they're incarcerated according to the genitalia. So because they haven't had surgery, they're in the women's prison, but they identify as male. Right. Okay. So it's been interesting to begin to talk to them about how does this material work. We've done the same thing with the men. We've got men's groups in the men's prisons that have trans women. So men men transitioning to to women. women. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Living in a men's prison. And one of the things we've been really concerned about there is safety. But what the women tell me in that situation is the group is really safe. And they have felt like they're getting a lot out of this group, even though I didn't write it thinking about the transgender population. So at some point, I'm going to do some focus groups in in both prisons and think about 
do we need to do adaptation? What do we need to add? Change? You know, a couple of years ago when I was writing things, I didn't think that much about it. And it wasn't such a big issue in the prisons. People mm. were more hidden about it. So now, do you, now they're more out about it. Yeah. So do you see in the future maybe groups solely for the trans I'm not sort of sure. Group? I'm going to ask them. I, mm. I think minimally what we need to be able to do is to educate the facilitators to have more understanding about this and also to do something simple at the beginning of group of what pronoun do you prefer? Yeah, you know, just, what would you like to be what, called? What would you like to be called? You know, just some simple things yeah. to begin with. Yeah. I don't know if we need separate groups. I, yeah, because if everyone's comfortable, right, I, I guess, so and if far, everyone feels safe. Everybody says they're comfortable, so I think it's just more acknowledging. Then I think the other thing is adding in what are some of the traumas that have been, been experienced by the transgender population that we haven't talked about. Because transitioning and living as a trans person, there are a lot of things that happen that are mm. really horrific. And I imagine, I was in a prison last week, um, predominantly sex offenders, violent sex offenders, and we were talking about all these issues. And then I, it suddenly sort of came into sharp focus, the discussion about because we were talking about safety and when men sometimes can get transferred to women's prisons, but they're sort of transitioning and it all gets exceptionally complicated. And I can Very. feel myself almost probably falling into the wrong language and getting into <laughs> trouble. But then the governor was saying, well, look, you know, we've got a lot of men in this prison, some of whom are paedophiles and a lot of men who have been the victims of paedophiles. But they have to live on a wing together and you can't really separate them out from each other because you then have to separate almost every single person out of 800 clumps. people. Exactly. You have all these clumps. And that's not, it's not how we live. No. It's so when you're good... running the interventions in a prison in America, mm -hmm. do you have to separate out men who might have been convicted for paedophilia with the victims, adult men who might have been offended against as a child? Mm. Not necessarily. It depends. Really? Yeah. It really, it's really also, it's more determined by the level of safety. It's like we have in our maximum security facilities, we have uh, what's called the general population or open yards with all kinds of people. Many of them have committed murder. We don't put them separate from people that didn't commit murder. Mm. So it really depends. If someone the secured housing units are for people who've... And the secured housing units are, um, are segregation. Yes. Um, yeah, we have this, our euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> it's the segregation isolation unit. Yeah. Um, but it's for people who've really committed, men or women, a crime inside the prison. So they've tried to harm or have harmed either staff or another inmate. And then they're isolated. So that's, that's where the where the isolation comes in. Not so much what happened out there in the community, but what happened inside the right. prison. Um, I mean, that's what they're supposed to be for now. In California, historically, not so much now, but notoriously, they managed gang tension and gang violence by putting men in isolation who, because of oppositional gangs. And that's when we went to Pelican Bay. That's what that prison was built to do. Right. To separate out the gang problems. Yes, and initially, I think almost every man that went there was in isolation. It was a prison, yeah. Well, I remember being there. There was a thousand men yeah. on the secure housing unit. Yeah, it used you to know, be... we might have a dozen. Oh yeah, it used to be two thousand men in in one prison 
all in isolation. Wow. And you can feel, right, the energy in that prison, you, you, you can feel Well, it. I mean, you have guns in your prisons, right? <laughs> so it's, it's a little different. It's different on many levels. <laughs> yeah, very um, different, very different. So the work with men in trauma has just been really rewarding because of how they respond to it. Most of them have never talked about it. No one's ever asked them. Many of them didn't even know that an experience was abuse or was tra- was would be considered trauma to somebody else, traumatic. And what about the impact? You know, what have we call our the heads of our prisons governors? You call them wardens. Wardens. Um, can you give me an example of any wardens that sure. might have been in touch or staff that have been yes. in touch to say yes. this has had a profound effect? Yeah, in the in in the one um, maximum security prison. They've said that where the yard where they've been running this now for a couple of years, the violence on the yard's gone down 70%. 70%? 70, 70 percent. And they measure that? By how many infractions and write-ups okay. and how many men have to be separated, put into secured housing, just all kinds of things. Mm. So they, they monitor behavior very carefully because that's a key piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we so have. the so the prison buys it in, do they? The individual prisons, or how does the sort of purchasing of your material work? Well, the way this happened really is because the Department of Corrections decided they wanted this program, so they gave me a contract to bring it in. And some of these contracts, I hire the program coordinator. Sometimes they'll say so and so works in this prison. Talk to them; they might be a good person to have oversight. How we're running these groups, which is also considered radical, is we also train the men who are long-term offenders, lifers without parole, to be group facilitators, mm. and they co-facilitate the intervention. Yeah. So the program so it's led. It's a peer-led, like. yeah. exactly. And people th- said you couldn't do it because working with trauma, everybody needs you know a lot of specialized education. These men do a great job. One of the researchers, uh, a UCLA researcher who's worked in corrections for over 20 years and has always been evaluating programs, he said, I've, I've never seen results in any program in over 20 years like this. So what is the key? You know, what is it that you have done differently? Well, I think one is the topic of trauma. Right. The second thing is in corrections, people have been really focused on cognitive behavioral interventions which is based on the idea that our feelings come from our thinking and therefore we've got to work on our thinking. I think cognitive behavioral interventions are one way to go, but I think in order to for people to get a deeper experience of something, you you have to work with the right side of the brain. And so we do a lot of interactive exercises. And um, we do things like guided imagery. People say men won't do that. They will do that. <laughs> um, Again, you make the group safe enough. And um, and they do these interactive things that they, they have a different level of self-awareness and reflection. And I, and I think it comes from the kinds of exercises they do. And then we also help them to learn uh, coping skills, how to manage when they're feeling uncomfortable, when they're feeling aggressive. What do you do with your anger? Do you realize anger is just covering up something else? So it's just the level of work is just different. Mm. I remember when I went to Pelican Bay Supermax prison in, where was it? 
Oregon? It's in California on, on the Oregon border. Oregon border, exactly. Yes. And we went to visit 12 men on the segregation unit, mm-hmm. the secure housing unit, didn't we? They were graduating from Beyond Violence? No. The, well, it's called They're Moving Beyond Violence. It's actually Exploring Trauma. I right. Mean, it's, the, it's the renamed Exploring yeah. Trauma. Yeah, so the sort of men's version of sort of yes. healing trauma, if you yes. like. And we went in, didn't we, with a couple of researchers to have a conversation with the men and to attend their graduation ceremony, which was slightly odd because they were all shackled and handcuffed and yes. it wasn't a particularly jolly occasion. But um, And when we spoke to them, they were all in cages and behind the bars and that was a, an odd experience in itself. But I remember being really struck by one man tattooed all over his face. You know, a lot of them were Mexican gang lords, weren't they, that had been... And they're never coming out. Yeah. Did Did you notice we didn't see any Anglo men? No. They were no, all men no, of no. color. There was not one that we ever saw. No. no. And I really remember him saying, because remember, I kept pressing them saying, I hear loads of good stuff about these interventions, but if I'm ever going to take this to the UK and make it fly, I want to know what's bad. I want to know about the barriers. And anyway, this man said, you know, I'm exceptionally violent and always have been. And I now know... I can start feeling it in my sort of belly and I can start feeling it sort of coming up. And he said, first of all, I know why it's there and it's because of some of the things that have happened to me. So he said, that's made me feel calmer because I know there's a reason for it being there. He said, but secondly, I've managed to attach words to those feelings and um, and I now have the skills to be able to breathe that fire down. I remember just being absolutely gobsmacked. You know, suddenly these people have emotional language. They know what's happening to them. So just you could see in this man's face that finally it all made sense. It all makes sense. It doesn't mean to say he's not going to feel that fire coming up. It's not going to mean that he'll never lash out again. But you can't be in control of something that you don't understand. Right. And these men were beginning to understand and beginning to understand themselves. Right. Right. I was just blown away. And think about it. They had six sessions. It's very brief. It's yeah, very... once a week for six weeks. Yeah, it's, very, it's yeah. very short. And it's worth saying the two things that I managed to get out of these men when I said, come on, really tell me what the bad things are. They said, we shouldn't be taught in cages. Uh, yeah. I said, I agree. Yeah. And second of all, it should not just be available for the men on your secure housing unit. It should have been available to every single right. man in the prison. Right. Those were the two bad things. Right. The which... third bad thing sometimes they talk about is they want more. Yeah, what to you do know, with we the did, We did six sessions, do we want? So our new project actually is to bring a 20-session intervention in uh, in two of the men's prisons, two of the maximum security prisons, and then take the healing trauma, oh, no, 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 the exploring trauma or moving beyond violence that's been in the secured housing unit and take that out onto a general population yard. That's our intention if we can ever finish getting through red mm. tape. So you think the two key things for these particular interventions are the fact that they, one, address trauma, and two, they're either written for women by a woman or written for men by a man. Right. And so I think people feel seen. uh, They feel safe in group. They get to talk about things that they haven't talked about before. And they learn coping skills. You know, he said, now I can breathe and put out the fire, you know, and think back do you remember the young man when we were at Peterborough hmm. that was the aide in the room that was helping, remember, set oh, up yes. things? Oh, yes, he was the, the tea orderly. The so, tea yeah. orderly, right. Old-fashioned prison word for yes, the guy who's yes, helping with the catering. Right, and you remember 
he came up to me and said, you know, I've been sitting in and listening, and I've learned more skills in this training today than I have in three years of a different kind of therapy I was given. Yeah. I remember him saying, I dissociate, and I have dissociative behavior disorder or something. Mm -hmm. And he said, but I learned today that, yes, I dissociate to be able to cope with the abuse that happened to me, but I've never been taught how to come back. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and these are not complex skills. These are things we can teach people. Uh, we can teach them fairly quickly. And they really allow a sense of comfort. You know, for me, it's, it's looking at what's underneath some of the behaviors that are so challenging. Mm. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And then the impact on the staff, because of course the staff matters so much in the fact that they need to be able to do their job safely. They need to be able to look after themselves, understand themselves in order to be able to maybe even enjoy their jobs, right? right. And to be able to connect with the people right. they're looking after. Right, and you can imagine why the prison likes the idea that it becomes safer if there's less violent behavior and you're working there. Uh, that's really wonderful, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, when we do the training with staff, we have them look at some of these basic questions about trauma in their own lives. They don't have to share, but we, these adverse childhood experiences, for example, which is one type of trauma, so that they give themselves a score and they see where their own risks are, because we know that people who are in the helping professions often have had trauma histories, mm. and often they've never dealt with it. And you said the adverse childhood experience um, was written 20 Nin years ago? Yeah, 1998. And in ten, first 10 years, nobody cared. Nobody read. No, And then now it's just like everybody oh, all excited, which it's a very good and interesting study. It's told us a lot. Um, it doesn't cover everything and nothing can. But it's a good, there are 10 basic questions, and we have people answer those so they get their own score from one to ten of adverse childhood experiences and then we talk about what are the risks you know if you have more than a score of four or more you're at risk for certain kinds of psychological problems physical health problems a variety of things mm. 
And can you say a little bit more? Because there's, I think this is an area that's really misunderstood when it comes to the application of trauma-informed, trauma-responsive, trauma-specific work. Okay. Um, so can you say a little bit about exactly what each stage means? Because I think some people can kind of go, well, I've put a fruit bowl in my reception area. Um, <laughs> right. So I am therefore trauma-informed. I have yeah. reached my destination. I, I have done it, The yes. utopic destination of being trauma-informed. So yeah. can you sort sure. of, you know, help us a bit well, with that? Everybody loves the language. The trauma-informed yeah, language, it has been picked up. It is the buzzword. God knows what people think it means. To me, <laughs> trauma-informed means you have an understanding of trauma. It's, it's knowledge. It's what we know. Um, and it takes more than a two-hour training to know sufficient amount, but it's a start. So that's trauma-informed. But trauma-responsive is, if this is what we know, then what do we need to be doing? And that's really about environment, changing the environment, changing the culture, looking at policies, looking at practices, and that's where people have trouble. Right. It's, they And they just go, oh, what do Because that's the do? operations, right? Yes. That's, that's the work. That is the <laughs> that's work. That's where you actually have to do something as opposed to turn up and listen and exactly. pretend you're listening and actually and do your So you've got to do a self-assessment. You know, the institutions, you, administration has to look at what they're doing. They've got to look at their own policies and practice. They need to use the lens of trauma. They need to think about, oh, what should we be doing differently? What can we eliminate here? Everything from signs on the wall to colors to staff attitudes it's just it's and really i suppose you there's a level of self-criticism you have to be prepared to sort of grapple with right yes. and not everyone's brilliant at self-criticism well most of us don't like it <laughs> so so that's that's because that's we're perfect well exactly <laughs> so that's the trauma responsive piece and then trauma specific are the programs we actually provide for people who are residing in a prison or going a, going to a community-based program so there's these three levels, and what people often do is they go to a training for two hours, now I'm trauma-informed, oh, I'll buy this program and put it in the prison, and they think the work is done. Those two pieces are actually the easiest pieces. The piece in the middle, the trauma-responsive, is what is hard for people. It's three to five years if everybody's moving in the same direction. And what is the most critical piece of that? Would you say exceptionally diligent leadership? Or well, without, there... without good leadership, it doesn't happen. Well, nothing happens, does no, it, without good no, leadership? No, because consciously or unconsciously, they undermine change. There's, so you have to have support. And particularly, criminal justice systems and settings are like paramilitary systems. I mean, they're very hierarchical. So if you don't have support here... How are you going to move anything? Mm. You just you can. Move and if it there are consequences to people not doing, and I'm not talking like big bad consequences of someone not doing no. something, I'm sort of talking about that sort of person higher up the chain, sort of going, oh no, I noticed that you haven't, you know, you're not. Come on, you know, right. let's just keep working right. with this. And well, yeah, and I see this. I'll give you a story. You know, in the U.S., we have jails and prisons, and and jails are for shorter term offenses technically, and so this one women's jail. Everybody was trained, became trauma-informed. They were bringing in new programs they were talking about. They were assessing their system. And um, the person who ran the jail, there were two male correctional officers that went into the women's housing unit, pulled a woman out of the shower. She was naked, right? And she was fighting back, and they restrained her. So it became a huge escalation, right? Uh, her infraction was she'd walked on the grass. Mm-hmm. 
It's a pretty right. serious thing. Um, so when the woman who ran the jail heard this, she brought them in and she said, you remember that training you were in a few weeks ago? Tell me <laughs> yeah. something you learned. And what about pulling a woman who's naked out of the shower and then restraining her is trauma-informed? Well, she broke the rule and she wrote them up and said they were on probation for two weeks. Now, that's the kind of message that has to happen in order for change to happen. Because if she had done nothing, thought, oh, it's one, it's one woman, you know, yeah, yeah she did break a had rule. a busy day. Yeah, I, can't I be mean, I don't want to get this. into this. Once that happens, it all erodes and falls away. Yeah. Because there are no consequences. There's mm. no real expectation. Well, it's like being a parent, isn't it? With it's very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. The People through. know what they can get away with very quickly and if you don't have they your do. arm on the ball. Yeah. So it takes, it takes leadership at the top. It takes commitment. It takes time. The long-term results, however, are really good. Mm. It makes it easier to run a prison. Absolutely. Which if I was running a prison, I'd like it to be as easy as possible. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you find with the interventions, you know, sort of talking about the impact the interventions have? Because um, you have statistically significant results, don't you, from the interventions? Yes. What is it that comes down? What are the big things that you see? Well, what we see, you know, the, the Dr. Messina who does the research, I don't do the research because I write it. I shouldn't be researching. I might be yeah. biased. It's not very independent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she has about, I think the men's intervention, there are 28 different measures she's looking at. So she has a long list of different mental health things. So she's looking at depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. She has a couple of anger in her uh, measures where she's looking at different kinds of anger. Um, uh, what else is she looking at? She's looking at post-traumatic stress disorder. She's looking depression. at depression, anxiety, anxiety sleep disturbance. Yeah. Uh, all, there's all kinds of things she's measuring. Yeah. And, um, and finding that in these successions you can make a different you can make a change people change significantly so that's that's why some of the things that are happening in prisons that are difficult to manage all that's going down mm. because you don't you have people who have new tools to relate versus losing it and having a lot of problems so it's it's making a big difference and what would you say i mean we're both quite sort of uh, prison orientated people um and obviously so many of these issues um actually you know they affect human beings not right. just people inside the walls oh, no, right and so i get sort of more and more calls on a sort of now sort of growing weekly basis of people mm -hmm. with who are struggling outside the walls yes. just sort of yes. whether it's friends colleagues um and they have the same issues so what about these interventions being run in community settings yes well they're also run in community settings um we have both of these interventions running in some of our addiction treatment programs, some of our mental health uh, community centers, uh, clinics are running these. So they're, they're not just in prison, they're, they're in a whole variety of places. Um, it's just that we've had more research dollars for those that are inside. We have maybe one or two small studies in the community using the women's well, we did a study also, a short, a brief study with women and then one with men, and they were all in the community. Um, but most of the tr research money's been geared towards the criminal justice system. Right. But they work effectively oh, in the community and there's no barriers. Oh, if someone was no. listening to this thinking, gosh, you know, I want to be able to do this in... I mean, could they do them in hospitals? I mean... Sure. 
certain types of hospitals like i mean i suppose it's difficult because you need the six weeks and you, you need a group of well, people yeah, for that amount of time yeah. but well but oh, but just... see we have hospitals that have outpatient mental health units so that in some of our hospitals you can go get couples counseling you can get family counseling and so there are programs like that that run this and they often run it twice a week so you can be through it in three weeks so it actually is pretty fast right uh, there are some therapists that run it in their private practice, put a group together and run their clients through. Mm. So it's it's used in lots of kind of different ways. And if people want to be able to deliver the training, what type of training do you need yourself as an individual? Because it sounds like you need to be a qualified psychologist, psychiatrist to be able to do this, but we know differently, no, don't we? Yeah, no. Um, I, well, I think training helps. You know, it's really wonderful that one small thing now has you know, certified trainers that are able to provide the training to uh, organizations either in or outside the, the prison walls. So people find training helpful. They actually don't have to have training to run the groups. Uh, to be a trainer, you have to be certified. To be a facilitator, some people who've run groups in the past buy the materials and run it from the facilitator guide. Um, but most people like to have training. There's something about Hearing how someone explains it is different than reading it off the paper. Mm. But people can buy it without training. And that age-old question of, well, you know, the danger of opening Pandora's <laughs> box, the can of worms. The can of worms, oh yeah. I couldn't end the pod without asking you about the can of worms. What if they all melt down? Oh my God, what, what would we, you what say to that? Do? What will we do? <sighs> yeah, it's, um, that really is a fear that most people have, and that's why I think trauma has been silenced, is I'm not skilled enough, I'm not educated enough, I can't open the can of worms. But actually, that Adverse Childhood Experiences study that was done 20 years ago, when it was originally done, it was done with 17,000 people. Um, they were all asked these questions. The Kaiser, which was the um, healthcare organization that did this study, um, they did not want it. The staff didn't want it because they said everyone's going to, It's you're opening a can of worms. We don't have enough mental health professionals. This is going to be a disaster. So they, some a staff person carried a pager. A pager was carried. Everyone was given a phone number. A pager was carried 24-7 for three years. So if I was someone answering the questionnaire and I felt really distressed, over a three-year period, I could call someone. They didn't get one call. You know, people forget that the worst is over. The person has survived the event. And they've learned to manage in positive ways, negative ways, whatever. So it really isn't opening a can of worms. And they gave people who had high scores one hour with a mental health professional after this. People were grateful they were asked. Most people had never told anybody and had never been asked. So they thought it wasn't important. Or if they did ask, one man talked about, I tried to tell my mother when I was five, and she said, that doesn't happen in our family. So I said, he, he said, I never said another word. So people have been forced to be quiet and to cover this up and to hide it, and that develops a sense of shame. So actually, this creates a sense of freedom. So it really isn't a can of worms in the way that we, we think about it or Pandora's box. Um, and people think, melt down if you don't ask. So well, that's it. better to provide a safe... <laughs> protective mm -hmm. supportive place where people exactly. can 
help each other and rely on each other and support Absolutely. each other and surely then the chances of any meltdowns are far reduced right I would have thought and, and then you deal with that and you help them have skills so they're not melting down all the time but to think that you can have a horrible history of abuse and never share it and then just sort of somehow be okay it's kind of unrealistic mm. And very sadly, we're going to have to wrap the podcast up because, of course, we have a date in Parliament (laughs) to go to because our healing trauma intervention that we brought over the water, your intervention um, has just, we've just finished researching, doing pre and post tests and um, the findings have a small sample size, but the results, no less, are statistically significant. um, So it's exciting. Fairly in line with the, the US findings. So... We're off to go and gallivant round the yes. Palace of Westminster <laughs> and make a few speeches and talk about that. So thank you so much again for being with us. Always a it's pleasure. Always, always great. Thanks for having me do this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Justice. If you found it interesting, you can discover more about the work we do within the justice system by visiting our website, onesmallthing.org.uk. One Small Thing is a charitable organisation striving for positive change in the justice system. If you would like to subscribe to Justice, you can do so via your usual podcast platform. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.